Sometimes I don't like my job too much. And um, today's one of those days. A while back, in a different church, I uh, faced a situation that caused me to go to the church and in a very transparent kind of open way say, we've got to talk as a church. And in the course of that discussion, I made a reference to practical theology and uh, one of the, uh, uh, I'm going to be kind, I'll say one of the men of the church, what I started to say was one of the know-it-alls of the church, but uh, that's a different deal. Uh, He caught me and he said, "Uh, you didn't really mean what you said there. I said, (laughs) yeah, I really did mean exactly what I said. The fact is that our theology, what we believe about God, has to work. And it has to work in the bad times and the hard times, just like it has to work in the good times. That's what the gospel, I mean, the, the letter of James is about, is a faith that works through all kinds of life. And so in this day, as Dory and I were talking about this and moving towards this day where he would announce the final decision of what actually has been months in the making, we talked about how best to do that. You know, typically what happens when a staff member, whether it's a pastor or a music minister or a youth minister or whatever, whenever they resign, typically in a Baptist church, they go through the whole service and then right at the end of the service, oh, by the way, I'm leaving to go to another church, and it's kind of like throwing a hand grenade into a room and then walking out and then expecting everybody uh, to go have a good lunch. And it just doesn't work that way. So I, I felt like it was probably a good opportunity for us to be family here. And so you're not going to get the normal sermon from me today. Um, what I want to try to do today is for us as a family to make sense of what God's doing here. From day one in my dealings with the pastor search committee, uh, well, I say day one, relatively close to what if, if it wasn't the first conversation, it was soon after that. Dory's name and Amy's name started entering into our conversations. And every time it was glowing in its content. And uh, that was good to hear, actually. Pastor going to a new church doesn't necessarily want to go into a situation where, you know, he's people going, we hate this guy. We just wish he would go away. Uh, but that happens a lot in churches. And so for the committee to speak as highly of Dory and Amy as they did was a refreshing thing for us. And so that was kind of that. And then when I started doing some of my research into this church, to see if it was a church where, you know, God might be calling me, if it was a place that, you know, eats men, or if it was, a, you know, what kind of church it was. Um, there are man-eating churches, by the way, and pastors know that. And so um, so started doing a little research into the church, and one of the things that I kept hearing was the music guy at that church is phenomenal. And so what we have now is this beginning of an aura that's being built of who Dory was. The end of May, as Teresa and I were making our way home from an overseas trip back to Edinburgh, uh, the committee wanted us to see the church and have a chance to worship with you without being a big spectacle. And uh, so we stopped off and on our way home at the Houston airport, and they picked us up and brought us over. And 
that Saturday evening, and we'd been on the road for 24 hours or more by that time, and uh, we were just wrung out. And the committee said, you need to meet Dory and Amy. And so they brought them up to the church. And while we were looking around here, we sat back in what is now my office. And uh, it was my chance and our chance for the first time to put some flesh to this aura that we'd been seeing and hearing about. This bigger-than-life music guy. And about, I don't know, probably honestly, maybe two minutes into that discussion, I began to see why. And from the first moments of our dealings with one another as a couples now, uh, there was a heart kind of connection. And we began to, to get it about why Crestwood loved Dory and Amy and their kids as much as they did. Teresa grew up in a musical church, and uh, she was a, in a part of a musical family. And throughout my ministry, at least, she's uh, not necessarily been able to experience another musical church at a really high level. And one of the first things she said to me was, I love the music there. Dory does a wonderful... And, and it was almost for her like a coming home thing. And so just, uh, I, I just a couple of weeks after that when we came to view of a call, the committee set it up where on the Saturday before I was to preach on that Sunday... You remember how many meetings? I had like 45 meetings wrapped up in a 24-hour period there. You had me all over the place. and uh, One of them was, Teresa and I went over to Dippity's with Amy and Dory and just had a chance to sit down and to connect on a deeper level. And I thought, I can't wait to get there and work with this guy. And those were the days before we really even knew each other. And since then, since God brought us here, I get it. I see why this church loves this family so much. And Dory's become a friend of mine. Uh, that'll never change, I suppose. I, you know, I know that some of you sit out there going, you've, you've been here for two months. What are you possibly talking about? Uh, you, it's just a connection level. You know, it's just either you get it or you don't. And we got it. So when he was telling me in that, second meeting that we had sitting over at Dippity's that uh, you know the, the church had contacted him and this was a possibility I began immediately to pray that God would sabotage that whole thing <laughs> I wish I was kidding with you but I'm not I've honestly prayed God if there's any way let this cup pass from us and, uh, you know, I want God's best for him and his family. But I want God's best for us, too. I had a professor of mine I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, and he said, well, you know, Mark, because I was kind of crying to him, sort of, you know. And he said, you know, you're going to be able to build your own staff. You get to pick who you want. I said, okay, I picked Dory. <laughs> and Dory won't play, so I guess that's that. But so... What I want you to hear from that, all of that is, uh, for me, and I've only been here a couple of months, and they've been here seven years, but for me, this is painful stuff. And I know that's true for you because ever since I've been here, all I've heard from every corner is how wonderful this family is and how good they've been for the church, and and they would say how good you've been for them. So... Understanding the pain 
it's, it's a good time for us today to just kind of not pretend that everything else is fine and everything's going to go on. And let's just deal with the pain today, okay? Because we've got a few more weeks with him. He didn't, he didn't do this in the first service, and I tried to warn him, and he didn't do it in this service. He did not give us an end date on this, okay? So we're just going to fill in the blank for him. 2050, the year 2050 <laughs> is when his resignation takes place, okay? And even then, now it's got to be approved by eight-tenths of the majority here. So take your Bibles, and let's look at a biblical precedent for where we are today. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Now, for most of you, it's going to be in the clean part of your Bible. <laughs> it's not where you normally go to study in your devotion time. Deuteronomy 34. If you don't know where Deuteronomy is, but you know where Joshua is, go to Joshua chapter 1 and go back one page, okay? Deuteronomy 34 is the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And we have for us a biblical precedent on how we make sense of what God's doing here. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I want to read the first seven verses, and then we'll stop and say a few things. Deuteronomy 34 Verse 1, And then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all the Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beit Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His, eyes, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Now, that's a huge statement, what we just got through reading. I want you to think back for a moment. It says there that Moses was 120 years old. We can divide Moses' life into spans of 40 years, three different 40-year spans. We go to the very beginning of that, and if you're not familiar with Moses' life, you can go back and pick it up in the first chapter of the book of Exodus. And here was this Hebrew slave child born under a death sentence, and his mom just refused to buy it, and so she stuck him in that little ark. You remember the story? And the king, the Pharaoh's daughter, found him, and Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt. All of the best training, all of the best food, all of the best teachers, all of those kinds of things, Moses grew up as a future king of Egypt. And then at the end of that section of his life... God sees to it that Moses gets pushed out into the wilderness. Now, we know because we read the story backwards, we read through the stuff we know, and we know now as we look backwards that God thrust Moses out into the desert so that he could learn what it means to live out there. Because in that last section of his life, that last 40 years, God uses Moses to take the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. We go back and we know this movie, The Ten Commandments, and we see all the plagues and all that God used to get them out. But every step of the way, Moses is God's man of the hour, leading Israel 
to their destiny, which is the promised land. This chapter, Deuteronomy 34, doesn't just close out the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Jewish, you know, I mean, they're serious about these five books of the Bible, our Jewish friends. It also closes out this chapter, which is Moses' life. And we're going to see before we go even hardly a few verses further from this that there is a next leader of Israel. His name is Joshua. As we've been looking at Sunday nights in our Bible study time over in the, in the Family Life Center, uh, God definitively named Joshua as the successor to Moses. And before he even brought that to the light to the people, God trained Joshua. What I want you to get from that is this first basic truth that helps us make sense of what's going on here. The pain is so deep for some of us in seeing them leave that it's easy for us to step back and say, God has abandoned us. But the fact of the matter is, in God's economy, he designates leaders. The design for God is a leader for a season. Moses is a great example of that. And at this crucial chapter in the life of his people, it says Moses went with God and God reminded him of the promises, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he says now to him, and now it's your turn to go. Seven years ago, roughly, God brought Dory and Amy and their one daughter at that time to this place. Think about what God's done through his ministry in seven years. Now, I have the benefit of being a rookie here, all right? And so I came in asking questions. That's the only way I knew to figure things out around here. And I knew I needed to have a quick learning curve, and so I just started asking questions. And Dory started talking to me about the music program here. From what I gather, and my understanding is, that under Dory's ministry in this church the music program has expanded significantly. Is that right? Okay, y'all are still out there. Okay, I know you're shocked and all that, but stay with me. So God's used him in a very clear, defined kind of way. Not just him, but his wife. When I came to this place for the first time, they started showing us around, took us over the children's building. I was dumbfounded. Now, I'm dumb anyway, but when I get dumbfounded, that's a significant thing. Walking through that building, and then I started talking to people and listening to the impact that Amy has had in this church, in the children's ministry. This church has one of the best children's ministries I've seen anywhere, and I've had some dealings with some pretty large churches. Nobody gets it like we've gotten it here. So in six and a half years, to use his time frame, God has done some very big things with them. Think about the musicals that have happened on this stage. And his ability to reach into the congregation with people who would normally not ever do some of the stuff that he got you to do. That's God's hand on God's man with God's people. He told me, not long after I came, he said, you know, when I really felt like I got here and got involved in this church and where I really belonged was when we went through the hurricanes together. 
and had to live up here and rub shoulders with you and those kind of things. And so I, I just want you to begin the process of going back through as we do this together, but then also as you do it as an individual. I want you to process through the individual impact that this family has had on your life and on the life of your family. One of the things that I know to be true is that the ministry of this man has been a draw for some of you to come to this church in the first place. It's not about the preaching for some people. For most people, maybe. If the music's not there, it ain't happening. I understand that. And many of you are here today probably because of this man's ministry. And you may be asking yourself, now what? Well, I want you to remember what I'm saying. God's design for leadership is this leader for this place for this season. And then he says, and now there's a new season. That's why I'm here in the first place is because God said to me at a different place, your time there is up and I have another field of service for you. So it helps us to remember that God hasn't abandoned us here. God's following through with what he's done for centuries with his people. Now, we don't have to like it, okay? I, I get that. I know you don't. I don't like it. I've offered the time up. Time to his chair. A number of things like that. All together, we see that Dory, Amy, together have been God's people for us as a church for a long time now. And when that happens, when you begin to invest yourself like has occurred here, us in them, and them in us, it's, it's like a weld that occurs. And so it's hearts that get welded together. When I was just out of high school, I went to work in the oil field, did some fabricating. I told you all about some of that already. And almost from day one, they tried to teach me how to weld. Now, if you have a welding company and you need some help, don't call me, all right? Because I'm a terrible welder. But I learned a few things about welding. And one of the things that the guy teaching me what, told me was that... If you do a weld right, the weld won't ever break. Now, the metal may break around the weld, but the weld itself won't break. And that's a picture of what's happening here. Our hearts with this family have become so intertwined that now that God says, okay, we're going to have to separate that in a way, then it takes part of our heart with theirs. And that hurts. But let me assure you that they're taking part of your heart with them too, and it hurts them equally. Imagine how the Israelites must have felt. As Moses knew, he had to know that his days were coming to a close. Now, he may not have thought that that was that early, but when God starts telling you, listen, you're about done here, then you just know. And things change, and you start seeing things in a different way, right? It's just like things, it's like, man, God, what are you doing here? And so I just wonder, a little bit of sanctified imagination here might be okay for us. How did Moses feel as he went through the camp and those key people, as he saw them and he knew he was talking to them for the last time? I wonder how his heart was. And I wonder about the children of Israel, Joshua and some of those others. You, know, you remember we talked last Sunday night about God as he's preparing Joshua. And one of the things we talked about is Moses went out to the tent of meeting. The people would rise up and they would stand at the door of their tents and they would look out and they would see. And they would anticipate what God was going to do. As Moses was beginning to move, maybe the last time he walked off into the mountain, what were those people thinking? Think of all of the things that Moses had led them through. It hurts 
when God says, I'm going to move my leader on to another field. But you know what? It ought to hurt. The fact of the matter is, it'd be a sad thing if a guy and his wife and family could be here for seven years and y'all share life experiences like you've had, if they could leave and nobody cried. That'd be a sad thing. Okay? So the fact that it hurts is actually a really good thing because you can look backwards and say, he's been God's man here. She's been God's woman here. They've been God's leaders for us. And it's a good time for us to celebrate that. Even though the pain is there, it's a good time for us to stop and say, okay, God, we see your hand on this church and on this family. That takes me to the second thing. Okay? And that is what I call the appropriate goodbye. People do goodbyes in a lot of different ways. For instance, I told you, most of you knew this already, but I went through one of these changes that they're going through recently. And as we were about to leave Edinburgh, I had some people, well, I'm sure, okay, nobody said this to me, but I'm sure that there were those people who found out that we were leaving Edinburgh and they went, yes, praise God, he's gone. Now, I'm glad they didn't say anything to me. might have destroyed my fragile ego. I don't know, but um, nobody said that to me. But I'll tell you what I did have. I did have some people come to me and they said, you can't go. You, you can't do that. And the way they dealt with the pain of leaving is they just latched on. You, you understand what I'm talking about with that? I mean, this one individual particularly came to talk to me. You can't go. Don't want you to go. I, God's telling me I've got to go. This is what God's doing. Okay. They went then and left me and went to my wife. You can't go. And <laughs> Teresa said, you don't understand. God's telling us we've got to do this. We don't even understand it all. We just know God's telling us to do it. So that person left her, came back to me. You can't go. And even in the process after that, showered us with information that says you can't go. Some people, the way they deal with the pain of leaving is they don't leave. They just latch on. Other people deal with the pain of leaving by uh, disengaging. That term makes sense? Case in point. I have a friend in South Texas. Uh, actually, the whole family is our friends. And... Uh, from the moment that I let the word out that we were moving to Lumberton, I never heard from that person again. I can't tell you how many rounds of golf I've played with them and done things with their family and gone out. Our kids were the same age, did a lot of things together. We were friends. And when they found out we were leaving, it was as if we died. No contact. To this day, no contact. Now, I could take that personally... But I just realized that some people don't do goodbye very well. And so for them, it's just better to, for them, they think, to just block it off and say, well, it never happened. But it's not better for you to do that, okay? What I'm getting at here, there is an appropriate way for us to say goodbye to this family. And the reason I wanted us to have this time today instead of a normal kind of service. Listen, life's not normal here anymore. He just read us a letter that says everything changes, or at least most everything. So for us to pretend that nothing happened is just dumb. I told you about my professor in seminary. He said, son, whatever you do, just don't be dumb. Well, that's hard for me. I'm, I do dumb real well. I don't want to do dumb here. We need to get this right. And so what I wanted us to do today, the reason Dory 
announced his resignation when he did so that we could begin the process, and this is not the end, we could begin the process of making sense of what God's doing. And we need to say goodbye to them in an appropriate way. If you're one of those who just can't deal with the pain and you're going to hold them at arm's length, let me tell you something, you're missing a blessing and you're robbing them of a blessing by not being just sucking it up and manning up and going and saying, I love you guys, I don't want you to leave. We've got to do this right. And to pretend that it's just okay is, is not the right way to do it. For us just to throw the hand grenade in and walk out is not the right way to do it. We need to get it right. So let's look back at this passage now. Take a, take a lesson from the children of Israel. Now, where I left them off in verse 7, Moses died and God had buried him. Look at verse 8. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. I'm going to stop reading there. I know it's not the whole verse. Let's stop and make sure we really understand what is said there. I've been to Moab, modern-day Jordan. If you want to know what that looks like, Google the Dead Sea and then look to the east of that. Okay? There is one blade of grass for every 10,000 square miles in there. It is the most desolate area I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, the Dead Sea, they told us when we were there, is the lowest point on the planet geographically. And because of that, the sun gets to about 10 million degrees. It's hot there. Nothing grows there. Now, scholars tell that's where they were, by the way. Scholars tell us that at this point, there were probably 7 million people in the children of Israel living in tents in a desolate area. For the first time ever, they experienced what we call fast food. God brought in birds at night and manna in the morning. They just had to go out and pick it up. Living in tents. Now, not only is it a terrible living condition situation there's also an added threat militarily why are the children of israel at that point well our history shows us that they're about to go in and take the promised land that's the book of joshua we see that and so they're camped out there the people of what israel called the promised land you know what the people in the promised land called that land home and they're ready to fight for it And so the children of Israel are ready to come in. They're sitting there exposed militarily. And these coalitions, as we'll see in the book of Joshua, individual city-states, coalitions come together and they attack the children of Israel. Children of Israel are in bad position to be sitting there doing nothing. But again, look at the verse. And the children or the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Let that sink in. What I want you to hear from that is what we're about to do as a church here is important. We need to get the mourning process right. Now, Dory didn't tell us the date, but it's the 18th, right? So on September the 18th will be their last Sunday here. So that gives us, by my calculations, I'm a little calendarically challenged every once in a while, but I think that's two weeks from today. That gives us two weeks as a family to figure out how to make peace with this and to say goodbye appropriately. Some things that are attached here for us. First of all, the relationship itself requires that we get this right. They've poured themselves into us, and now it's time for us to pour ourselves into them. The relationship demands that. 
Don't treat them like they don't exist. What a terrible slap in the face to just ignore that. Okay? But don't go latching on to them either and trying to talk them into staying. Let me tell you something. We tried that. I tried that. The personnel committee tried that. We tried that. They're not staying. Now, if they want to stay, it's okay. We'll talk about it. It's great. Come on on. That's fine. But God has said to him, and I trust his walk with the Lord enough to say if he says, and it's not just him, it's both of them, if they say God's telling us to go, let me tell you something, it's time for them to go. I don't have to like it. I've had discussions with God. I've had gripe sessions. Okay, I've been mad at God about that straight up, as some of you will be. And it's okay. God's big enough to shoulder that. But God has said, now's the time. We need to get it right. But we need to do it as a family. The people of Israel wept for Moses for 30 days. Now, it's a good time for us to stop and look backwards and acknowledge the hand of God. So over the next few days, maybe this afternoon while you're sitting around, Why don't you just start rehearsing some of the things that God has done in your life and the life of this church because of their ministry. Now, don't praise them for that, okay? Because it's God who does the work. And they'll be the first ones to tell you that. Now, we're going to praise them. We're going to lift them up. I've done some of that this morning because I think that it's important that we do that. But it's always important that we remember that they're only the workmen here. God is the one who brings the increase. And God has had his hand on them and on us because of it. The last thing I want you to see from this, and I'm done here. And I don't want to even spend much time here because I don't want to be misinterpreted. Look at the last part of this. Verse, the latter part of verse 8, the first part of verse 9. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. I could continue reading there, but that gets us where we need to go. When I was leaving Edinburgh, I took these couple of verses here, and I made a comment that the appropriate time for mourning for Israel was 30 days. It's important that we see that. It wasn't 30 years. They didn't just totally get sidetracked from God's plan in their lives. But for a period of time, they did the mourning, and then God said, okay, up and at them, let's go. There's a promised land to get. And God has a plan for this church. I told you when I came, I believe God has not called me here to bury a church. I believe that God has a great plan for this church. I believed that he was part of it. Okay? Sorry, dog. I've been calling him Sorry Dog for a long time, okay? That's his new nickname, okay? If we'll all do that on Facebook, maybe Marble Falls will say, I don't know if we want this guy or not. (laughs) I used that verse. For 30 days, they wept. Well, after we got here, I kept getting emails from one of Teresa's friends in our church, and she was saying... 30 days are not up, I'm still mad. This is day 14, I'm still sad. But at day 30, I knew that she knew there's a point that you just have to say, okay, forward. We go forward. Because that's God's plan. And Dory and Amy have done things in this church that position us for the days that are ahead. And we should build off of that. If we let that fall apart, then that's a slap in their face for the work that they've done. Okay? It's, it's not 
Um, it's not like you're, you're being treason, treasonous with them, you know, a traitor with them if you say, well, you know, we're going to move forward. Now, we don't want to say that. We want to say goodbye right now, but there's going to come a time that we need to say, forward hold, let's get after it because God has a plan for this church. And the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And lo and behold, look what happens. Brother Next steps up in verse 9. And Joshua the son of Nun. There is a brother next here. You, you, that communicate? Brother next? The next brother? Brother next, whoever it happens to be, will follow Dory. He's got huge shoes to fill. He better be good. That's all I got to say. But he will be. Because he's going to be God's man. Now, until brother next, until the appropriate time to talk about brother next, we're going to talk about goodbye and we're going to do it right okay so what i'm asking is two weeks from today on sunday night we suspend the normal sunday night bible study that we're doing we'll do a reception for them and i want you to come to that reception prepared to let them know what god's done in your life through their ministry okay and i'll have the microphone and we'll let some of you speak two minutes we'll keep it to two minutes okay but we'll just let them hear from you what God's done in your life. These are hard days. Hard enough that it warranted suspending the normal sermon for us to do a little family therapy here. It makes sense of what God's doing. God is not finished with us. He's not finished with them. I rather suspect that down the road somewhere, this church will have the opportunity to look out at life in the kingdom in Texas and say, yeah, Dory used to be member minister at our church. Look at what God's doing in his life now. When I was in college, I served First Baptist Church of Halfway, Texas. I mean, it is so small that it's not even a speck on the map. But there was a church there. And when I got there, they were singing the praises of Dr. Carlos McLeod. Dr. McLeod pastored that church when he wasn't a doctor. He wasn't even a nurse at that point he was just Carlos and he went on to be the director of evangelism for the Baptist General Convention of Texas a big shot in denominational life and 20 years or more before that he had been a pastor of that little church and they wouldn't let anybody forget it God may do that with Dory we may turn around in 20 years or more and see him doing great things for God at a very public level we may not see that. But we will look backwards and say, God used that man and his wife in this church in big ways. So don't wait 20 years to tell them thank you. For two weeks, let's do it well. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve alongside one of your choice servants, actually two of them. And as a church, we are mourning today. But we do so with hearts that are full of hope. And what you will continue to do through their ministry and what you will do here in the time to come. I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are hurting. And our hearts really hurt. Help us to see why that's a good thing. And help us to work through the pain in your grace. Give us the courage to face the days ahead. In Jesus' name.